Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chattuck. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle-Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen concludes her two-part discussion with Mary Kolarudis, CEO of Creative Healthcare Management and the Knowledge Center board member on the impact attachment theory can have on healthcare. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. This is Karen Buckwalter here with you today. And today we are going to be interviewing Mary Kolarudis, who is actually uh, her background is in nursing, but she has written a great deal about relationship-based care, even the impact of neuroscience and connection in terms of patient health care, patient improvement from illnesses. She has a number of award-winning books, including Reigniting the Spirit of Caring, which is an overall program that she's been leading in healthcare systems worldwide. She has a series of books called the Relationship-Based Care series of books and workshops. And she also has another uh, whole series called See Me as a Person, which is a book and workshop co-created with psychologist Michael Trout. So I am really, really looking forward to interviewing Mary today. In addition to her writing and her nursing background, she's also the CEO of Creative Healthcare Management, which is the the company she leads and works for. So it's really going to be a treat to be speaking with Mary today. I know you're all going to enjoy it. Um, and how have physicians responded, I'm sure, is what a lot of people are wondering. Unfortunately, probably some who've had an experience where someone would have the not the best bedside manner, as we, as we would sometimes say. Have they been receptive? Yes, I would say they have. And I, I think there's a couple of reasons. One is the foundation of the See Me as a Person work, which is grounded in uh, neuroscience, human attachment theory, uh, the, the science behind the framework resonates with physicians. Mm. I think the second thing that resonates is we went through a big era of tactical customer service training, which had, has improved the hospitality and the receptiveness and has improved many things in healthcare. What it didn't do was, I think, really hold central the value of the, the physician-patient, nurse-patient, therapist-patient relationship as not a customer service model, but a therapeutic model. Mm-hmm. And I think what, what our work has done is kind of brought the dignity back to that aspect of the relationship. It's not about making people happy. It's about making people more well. In, in working therapeutically with them. It's about helping them to cope. It's about helping them to find meaning and take ownership in their own health and well-being with our guidance and support. Whereas a customer service focus can get more 
lopsided into, you know, making sure everybody's happy. And happiness and illness and crisis do not go hand in hand. So yeah, that, 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 was a, that could be an unattainable goal, setting everybody up for failure. It can be. And, and what, you know, what I saw, one of the other influencers, our daughter, Alicia, has chronic, chronic illness and was hospitalized a lot in the last 20 years. And I was on the other side of the door seeing the downside of a high-intensity high customer service training where people were afraid sometimes to interact because they were afraid they were going to say the wrong thing or they had to make sure they were checking this off on this board or there were a lot of tactical pressures. I think our work has appealed to clinicians, including physicians, because it has opened it up and said, we trust you to be in relationship in a way that is authentic to you. And this framework, attuning, wondering, following, and holding, gives you a mental model or a mindful framework to be intentional in the way you connect so that it's more effective for you, it's more effective for the patient, and it's frankly more efficient. Because when you decide as a clinician to actually listen, you know, that most patients are interrupted in 11 to 16 minutes, seconds, I mean, as they begin to talk. Creating space to actually hear the person's perspective, people experience when they start practicing this, saves them time because they are not having to rework and reconnect or deal with the anxiety and frustration that comes when patients don't feel like they're being heard. Mm. or that the caregivers are missing something important because they failed to ask or failed to listen. Yeah, so what I'm thinking about, and I wonder if this fits also, is that it also impacts burnout and retention. And remember, as we brought an attachment-based model to our work at Chadock, one staff member uh, one time said, you know, and this was people in residential and it's that same 24 seven, it's hard. It's, <laughs> um, I said, I've, I used to feel like I was a glorified babysitter and now I feel like I'm changing lives. Yes. And I thought, you know, maybe there's a, a, a similar thing back to what you talked about, I'm not just like cutting someone open, doing something and suturing them shut, you know, that, that it's, it's, it's much deeper. We had another person come and visit an educational consultant and he, she looked at, she, she came in and, and, and uh, was in our environment and she said, I feel like you're breathing life into these mm. children. And of course, I never forgot it. I think that was enough to keep me going for another 10, 15 years, just hearing one person say that. And I think, and of course, you're doing that in healthcare. You are, and much even more than we are. You're dealing with life and death situations all the time. But it's somehow when you just think of it, like you said, as specific procedures and things, it's not the same, right? Right. Yes. Connecting with meaning and purpose is an absolutely can be a counterforce to burnout. And, you know, depersonalization of the care 
that happens when people just feel like they're on a, a gerbil wheel. That's often the way I'll hear that described. Really t- sucks the life out of the individual clinician. So, you know, when we bring people together uh, in some of these workshops, where they, first of all, one of the things we hear is, I don't feel so alone. We're sharing some of the struggles. So, you know, acknowledging the struggles, you know, looking at what, what is real for people, um, connecting to their own beautiful hearts. Often that's been just pushed down and they begin to, people begin to become more vulnerable and open with each other. <clears throat> and then looking at how being in it together can make the load lighter and then cultivating that pride, as you say, that we are breathing life into people. Um, that, that does have a, a significant impact. We had, I'm going to give you a quick anecdote. We had a physician reach out on her own to ask for some coaching help and some training in, in therapeutic connection because she was in a setting in which it was very, very fast paced. She was getting feedback from her, from her team as well as patients that she was not connecting effectively. So that excited me tremendously, first of all, that someone would take that initiative. And I connected her with a facilitator of the CME work in, in her area. And they're doing some shadow coaching. She attended a workshop and she's doing some uh, virtual kind of just telephone coaching and reflection. And in one month, her patient surveys went from 78% to 95% in one month. In one month. And I, you know. And is that in terms of their overall experience, satisfaction, when you say her? Because they, in this particular setting, it's an urgy care setting. Okay, okay. Individual ratings. What, what is significant to me about that is, first of all, it was paying attention. I think her taking ownership for it and paying attention to it was... A- yeah, she could have just gotten angry and slammed the door <laughs> with whoever said that. <laughs> okay, and just blown it off as, you know, they just, you know, I don't have time. But it secondly, was a big focus with the coach was the care of this individual physician. How does she self-attune? Yes. What is going on with you? And as she began to have more compassion for herself, and she had a big story, as most people do, a life way beyond who she was as a physician, as that began to become uh, more clear, I think things begin to change internally that makes the ability to take this framework and put it into place happen. It's, it's a holistic approach. It's not do this, say this, be better. It's how can, how can you strengthen your own internal attunement in being uh, take care of your own precious heart. And that's a quote from Michael. You have to take care of your own precious heart in order to take care of others. And uh, when that, hap- that happens like that, it's extremely exciting. And I think can move us into a different era in healthcare in which we are self-compassionate, more compassionate with each other, with the end goal being able to to provide compassionate care for the large numbers of people that were responsible for 
Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's a lot to think about. And it's, um, you know, really, when you were saying about, um, you know, an overall narrative, a coherent narrative, you know, as opposed to I'm coming in to do this, and then I'm leaving, you know, like the, the psychologist talked about in, in the when you had the meeting with patients, I was also thinking about the example in your book, where, uh, this person, this because uh, we haven't talked as much about relatives of who's being cared for. You know, we're talking about the patient themselves. But the example was um, getting all worked up about gravy on potatoes or, or some mundane thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the and of course, everyone's like, "Oh my God, here she is again. We've got to deal with this person." I mean, yeah, I can imagine. You know, we have this in very other other settings where we're working with people, and and I remember it was something about someone just slowing down a little bit to have a very brief conversation and finding out that it wasn't about her getting gravy on her potatoes. It was about. Uh, a promise to care for that person and make sure that they got care that was coming out in that uh, behaviors for lack of a better word. You know, I think about that so often and, you know, it's not that you're saying, okay, you're going to be a psychologist or a therapist for these people, but it can just be so simple and brief, can't it? Yes, it can. And we talk a lot with Folks, anger in healthcare is, is a common issue. People are angry or demanding. And so then we talk about what's underneath. What is anger a manifestation of? And, and when you ask the question, the caregivers know this, it's fear. Anger is a manifestation of fear and a sense of powerlessness. And, and often the anecdote is simply, and I'm talking about normative anger here, not um, aggressive, drug-induced, you know, yes. some of the extremes or someone with a severe mental illness who is aggressive. I mean, those are also symptoms and need to be, need to wonder, but it's a, at a different level. But what I'd call normative human anger and frustration when you're feeling dependent is to wonder, what's this about? And story after story after story when that happens, and sometimes it takes the care team to say, stop, let's, let's keep let's slow down our own gerbil wheel and someone go in and sit with this family member and just check in about what's going on. And it's magic every time when you ask the question, what's going on here? It is never about the gravy. It's some anxiety or fear or concern that once expressed and validated and attended to dissipates and care can then continue much more efficiently for everybody. Right. But it takes, right. We, we call it even, we put a name called code compassion. Because <laughs> how do we have time? Well, give, create a space for somebody to just sit down. It will take five minutes or less and just say, what's going on here? What can we do to, to help? And it's. I love that. So I was like, they're coding. They need compassion. Compassion, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Wow. And, and like you said, I mean, the, although we're talking about humanity, the word efficiency, which is important in, in, in our environment, that, okay, if you have to look at it that way, it produces efficiency also because you're dealing yes. with so much less angst. Right. And, you know, uh, uh, we know how 
one upset individual can get a team swirling right. and the amount of time that's going and energy that's going into that right. uh, it, it if you put a dollar amount to it it's a huge amount of time and time let's one-on-one -on -one, let's just have someone who has the capacity to be therapeutic <laughs> and find out what's what's up here i had a great um example of that a nurse sent me an email um, after she had gone through this the workshop and said she worked in the emergency department and the emergency department teams are often pretty skeptical of this this framework because you know they're saving lives they're moving fast how is this going to yeah who has time for that a person's yeah. about ready to die right so um anyway this nurse writes and said that they had in their work this particular location, they'd had a lot of attempted suicides, teenage suicide attempts, to the point that they were, there was growing cynicism within this emergency department team that these were drama queens, these were people seeking attention. Uh, okay. You know how labeling can begin to happen. Right. And a narrative can happen that can interfere with the ability to be tuned in, attuned and therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so she had just gone through the program and she said um, this young girl came in and they were restraining her. She was quite combative and aggressive. And she said, I decided I'd just try that attuning and wondering thing. <laughs> and so she pulled up a stool and sat next to the, the gurney where this young girl was, so distressed and she said I actually I just sat there and said I'm here and she her crying and anxiety and so forth began to ease wow. and then she said, I'm here with you I can get rid of these restraints do you think you can be okay with that because I don't want you to hurt yourself and she said the girl nodded and she sat with her and she wrote the whole shift went better this was much more efficient. Wow. <laughs> so those are the little breakthrough moments that I think that would change my practice. I mean, that, that is a skill that she had. In something in her way of being there, she was conveying compassion. She was conveying that she was with this girl, not there to fight with her in, in a nonverbal way. Mm -hmm. um, that that's a knowledge and skill that she now has that I don't think she will lose. That's where I get excited. It's a better, more efficient way to care and a more humane to care. And she felt the nurse just felt um, pride in her own practice, which goes back to your question about burnout, which as we feel more efficacious and effective in dealing with this aspect of our practice, we feel uh, prouder of what we're doing and more able to manage the, the emotional challenges as challenges, not burdens on us, as symptoms of distress, not a way to make my life miserable today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow, beautiful. Well, as we get ready to wind up here, I'm trying to think how to ask this like question I want to ask because I feel like it's such a hard question. <laughs> the question I have on my mind is, is how, how did getting Michael more involved in, 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 in uh, your work and, and the intersection of what you both do? Of course, we have 
many uh, fans of his that listen to the podcast. And, and of course, um, I am just uh, tremendously supportive uh, of the work that both of you do. I think you're just the most amazing couple that changes the world. I mean, it has. Uh, and people just feel different being with you, Mary, and then add Michael to it. And it's like, wow, it's like, this is just an, an amazing team. You know, you're just so incredible, both of you in your own right. So I don't know how you would answer it. Uh, but, you know, obviously he was coming from a, a different discipline, one that many of our listeners are coming from, and, and you were coming from healthcare. You know, are, are there specific pieces that were reinforced or highlighted as you began to work together now on a curriculum? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the framework, attuning, wondering, following, and holding came from Michael's work in the field of infant mental health. Yes. It, you know, it... The translation of that into a therapeutic model, I'm more of a model, concrete thinker um, in some ways, although I don't know. I don't know if that's completely true, but in, in comparison to Michael, who is... Right. You had to operationalize the concepts to, to work in your environment. Right. Right. Which is an environment in which the more concrete we can get the more effective and practical you can get. But what Michael brought was the depth of the science behind this and the depth of 45 years of experience in living this. I mean, he's a, I remember walking and just going on and on about the frustration about bringing a therapeutic connection alive in healthcare, that that's really where it was about. I said, oh my God, you're a master at this. And then we said, what if, what if we partnered on this? Now, for the, your listeners who are married, you know that <laughs> your work together at an intersection has both its gifts and its challenges. But I, I certainly have not ever looked back. I, there's, did, it, did it one day just occur to you? Or was this a gradual thing? Or did you always see the interface? But you just, I mean... It'd be interesting to hear what Michael would say about it. For me, it was a it was a moment of oh my god, what if if we joined and you brought your depth of knowledge and experience to this, this would be something that you know would meet my vision of a, of bringing dignity and respect to the clinician patient relationship, not having it a tactic, a strategy but an authentic way of being. And that's what I had admired so much about Michael's work is the authentic beingness in his work, that you have to be human to human. You cannot tactic people into betterness, right? right. You have to be with them. And um, so it was like a, a, an epiphany for me. I was also, I, you know, he's very... Deep, was very deeply involved in his own field. I was somewhat tentative about whether he would have the space or the willingness to join me in this and was 
really grateful that you did. So then, the, the, uh, this would be a whole other session and probably not on a public podcast about how <laughs> then we worked out the logistics of that. <laughs> we had a wonderful developmental editor by the name of Rebecca Smith who helped integrate our two very different styles and approaches into a manuscript that was integrated and made sense. Yes. It was, yeah. a, it was fun. It took us several years. We started with developing the workshop and then the book came after that. Yes. Well, you know, I know it is oriented towards healthcare settings, but I tell everybody working in um, mental health, uh, clinical social work, doing psychotherapy about the book, I think. You know, one of the things, Karen, I'll say to you is I think it, it does transcend. It can be applied in any setting, even businesses outside of healthcare. As yes. Right. The other thing that we are really seeing is that these four practices apply to all relationships. Yes. So that's something the participants in the workshop really get excited about because they see this as something that will help them in their personal relationships, in their team relationships, and as I said, in your relationship with yourself. You become yes. more attuned and curious about your own well-being. Yeah. Uh, you're you're strengthening that relationship also so yes well um i can't thank you enough uh for taking the time to talk with me for the podcast and it's always a joy and a pleasure to talk with you be around you spend time with you um and i i i'm just thrilled i i know that people are going to really benefit and enjoy uh, listening to this conversation. So thank you so much. And I think we've mentioned your books and people can get them. Uh, well, where could people find some of your resources? Because there is such an overlap into our fields too that, uh, yes. Yeah, so how could they find these things? We have a website, www.chcm.com. Okay. Find out more about all of our work and we have a, all of our resources on that site as well. Um, we just, I will plug, we just um, published a book called Advancing Relationship-Based Cultures in which the practices are interwoven through the entire book, applied to teams, applied to leaders, applied to systems thinking. Mm. Uh, and that book, um, I'm proud to say, won the American College of Healthcare Executives Book of the Year Award. Oh, fantastic. Yes. And that was exciting to us because, again, for true cultural change to happen, healthcare executives need to see the value in this way of thinking. And that yeah. seemed to validate that there is a, a, a sea change and that this way of thinking is seen at the highest executive levels as really critical to good patient care. Yes. Well, well thank you again for this time. Thank you for being who you are and such a uh, great example of practicing what you preach. Thank you, Karen. It's a pleasure. Appreciate it. 
Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchattock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training, opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchattock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory. Thank you.